Good morning, Grace Place family. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? Talking about how we see ourselves versus how God sees us and how much he loves us and cares about us. It is a constant battle for us. Uh, We want to talk this morning uh, in our God Talks about how hard hearts can develop and uh, take a look at what happened in the storyline. We've been in the book of Exodus, so if you have your your Bibles or your app and you want to follow along with us, we're in Exodus chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the verse 1 through 13, Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. We start out by reading, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. And Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send me children, the, send the children of Israel out of his, hand, of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in, in, in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed uh, you so that uh, I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring uh, you and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves, you shall then say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. And so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did uh, so just as the Lord commanded and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did uh, in like manner with their enchantments for every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So what is a hard heart, and who has ownership over making it? I can remember my first time, I was in eighth grade reading through the Bible uh, for the first time, all the way through, from the beginning to the end. And I got to the the book of Exodus, and I kept reading this God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. And... You know, uh, I went in to talk to my dad because I thought this is a little unfair. You know, it's like uh, God keeps hardening his heart so that these things will multiply. My dad began to explain to me what most of us know as you've lived a life is that you do a fantastic job of hardening your own heart. You do not need the help uh, and the expertise of God. But in in the language of scripture, what is actually being said here is that as we are rejecting God, we are putting kind of a, another seal around our heart, another uh, form of, of resistance against God and space between us and surrender to God. And so there comes a point, and this point certainly came uh, for Pharaoh, where there is nothing that can be said by family and friends and loved ones and 
uh, crisis and incidents and, and world uh, situations, uh, not even as was uh, told in the New Testament, you know, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, when uh, if you're familiar with that story, that parable talks about how that, uh, you know, this uh, the, the rich man and Lazarus are, uh, you know, during the same time period and Lazarus is he's begging for food and, and the rich man is, you know, just living the sumptuous life and not sharing what he has. And, and when they both die, the, the, the parable tells about them going to different places. And one is in Abraham's, what's described as Abraham's bosom, that's, that's Lazarus, because he was faithful in his, in his love for God, not because he was poor, but his faithfulness to his love of God. He is now comforted, though he had a difficult life on earth, he is now in comfort. And then we see um, the, the story of the rich man who has a, a, a horrible time in, after his death in torment, is, is burning and is, is uh, in, in torment and is begging for just uh, someone to dip their finger in, in cool water and put it on his lips or on his tongue. And, and uh, this is this is uh, epic description of, of the torment of the separation from God and uh, uh, what happens to those who have rejected God and hardened their hearts over and over and over again, all through life. And now their opportunities are gone. And he found himself in hell. He found himself in torment and suffering. But it's interesting, the language that he uses, he suddenly has a thought about the people uh, outside of his table, doesn't he? He says, send somebody to tell my brothers about this place. Send someone from the dead. And the language there says, they will, because of the hardness of their heart, they will not hear even someone who's come from the dead speaking to them if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, the people who are speaking right now, the pastors and the people who love them and hear them. When people get past the point of hearing God knocking at their door every single day in love, asking for an opportunity to come in and have a personal relationship with him, they are arriving at a place of a hard heart. Now in my, in my line of work, I run into a lot of hard hearts, you can probably imagine. Uh, I had one just this week, stopped by the office, a young man uh, with a very hardened heart. He had a lot of arguments, he was well read, and uh, even among, uh, which Zach would appreciate, among the, the great philosophers, he knew them by name, he knew some of their points of view, and uh, he, he had all kinds of like angles to throw at me about why this and why that. So a lot of times in my line of work, uh, I hear a lot of things uh, like this. Uh, generally, people who have hardened hearts will, will say things along this line. Uh, the, something along the line of, uh, where was God when fill in the blank happened to me, to my mom, to my dad, to my uncle, to my sister, to my brother, or whatever? Where was God when that happened? Or I might hear something along the line of, in my opinion, people who are pursuing faith are doing so because they're weak and they use it as a crutch to get by in life. And I've, just, I've determined that whatever I do, uh, you know, karma is going to happen and things are going to take place and you just have to live with it. That's just life. Or I might hear something from a hard heart uh, that says something along the lines of, if there really is a God, 
then explain to me why there's so much suffering. Why is there poverty? Why are people starving to death? You know, why are, why are people, you know, dying without food, without water? Why, why is it that if there's a loving God on the planet, if, if God is there, then why, why are people really suffering? What I've discovered about hard hearts is they have strong opinions about God and Christianity. In fact, they have stronger opinions about God and Christianity often than they do about Walmart and H-E-B and... <laughs> Anything else you could bring up. They are, they are more generalized about their opinions about everything else in life except when it comes to God and when it comes to Christianity. Hard hearts can only see the beginnings of things. They are unable to, to see the, the, the end results of their ideas, their philosophies, their worldviews. They can only see into this moment and they see even into this moment clouded because they're clouded by biased views. They're clouded by personal wounds. They're clouded by unrequited love. They're, they're clouded by fruitless attempts to, to control the world that is around them. All of these things cloud their vision in a way that they cannot clearly see where they're going and what's taking place. They're bent in a certain direction. God counters that because he knows the end from the beginning. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 9 says, Everything I prophesied has come true, and now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. I will tell you the future before it happens. Because God is not subject to time like you and I are, and we're living just in this moment, and you don't even know what hand motion I'm going to do right now, do you? Because... You are just in this moment, but God is not restricted to that. He knew a long time ago, I was going to do this hand motion. <laughs> he sees time past, he sees time present, and he sees time future, all in the same glance. God will tell us our future before it happens. God sees the end from the beginning, and so... He sees the bias, he sees the wounds, he sees uh, the unloved situations, he sees the unfruitful situations of our life in advance. God sees what you and I cannot see, and God still believes that if we will surrender, he can bring us back in line with the path of his calling and his purpose and his mission. Hard hearts are the enemy, though, of the work that God wants to accomplish in you and in me. It's a violent battle that's raging and going on inside of us. Donald Gray wrote a book in 1965, uh, that book called The Invisible War. And in that book, he talks about this, this incredible war for your mindset that is going on night and day. The enemy is, is trying to get your mindset to win you over, to cloud your thinking, to get you living just in this moment, to, to get you to angry at God or upset at God because things aren't falling in place as you hoped, as you wished, as you thought they might should fall in place. And it's an intense battle. It's an unrelenting battle. And because Satan is involved, it's an unfair battle. He never fights fair. He's the one that throws sand in your eyes. 
You know, that uh, when, instead of, you know, when you knock the sword out of his hand, he throws sand in your eyes so he can pick up the sword and, 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 and stick, stab you in the back. It's, just, it's not a fair battle. It never has been. And into the midst of this, God sends his, his voices. God says, I'm, I'm giving my word to you. I'm sending a pastor to you, Pastor Moses and Pastor Aaron. And here's what's going to happen. See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. He, these people, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, are going to see you as a god. It was not just because God was sending his words through Moses, but God was sending his power through Moses as well. I am going to send my word, but I'm also going to enforce my word. And I believe that this is a point where people's hearts get more encased in stone when the, the, the person that God sends has not only the words from God, but has the power of God to, to, to show and to live out those things in their own life, the truths of Scripture, the truths of God, and has been empowered as well as has, has been given the word to say. And when you reject that, it really begins to encase your heart with stone. The judgments that, that he would bring about on the land, and we read this passage just a moment ago, are, are, in, are going to show and reveal the power of God and, and what he can do. And it, it would pr produce a supernatural terror uh, in, in the lives of, of those that were in Egypt just watching Moses rock, walk across the field. Because the last thing that he said came to pass. And there was a fearfulness just seeing him show up. You can imagine behind the scenes that the people are beginning to say, what is wrong with Pharaoh? Why does he just get all of this out of our land? It's a curse. Get rid of these people. Get rid of, of, of Moses and Aaron. Why is he still letting him come back and, and pronounce another judgment on our land? It was a power that was, was enforcing the word that Moses was bringing. Right away, Pharaoh challenges the power of God. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers and magicians of Egypt, and they did also in like manner their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents before Aaron's rod and swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. What's going on in this section of the story is a, a, a big revelation for all of us, something that we really need to understand. And that is that for everything that is real, Satan has a counterfeit. Love, he'll give you lust. In the place of patience, he says instant gratification. In integrity, he says, How, you don't want integrity, you want celebrity. Gratitude, be grateful and thankful, get what belongs to you and hide it. Peace, you know, you don't need peace. peace just, you just need to appease and make people happy. Just use uh, your, your natural gift of charm to try to get along with people and make things happen and uh, tell them what they want to hear, right? And then get into office and do what you want to do. Hello? Have we ever met a politician that hasn't done this instead of this? 
Satan has a counterfeit for everything real that God has to offer into our lives. Hard hearts lead us to substituting God's virtues for Satan's counterfeits. We start substituting what is, is of real value, what is really life-changing, what really keeps us pliable, moldable, use, useful to the kingdom of God, available for what God has called us to do. We slowly start substituting it for the counterfeits that Satan offers in, in, because of disappointment, because things didn't work out, because of a crisis, because the prayer didn't get answered the way we think it should, and the heart begins to grow a little bit harder, and hard hearts start leading to substituting God's virtues for counterfeits that Satan has to offer. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 10 to the people, here is what God requires of you. People have made us lists our whole life that would tr seek to try to keep us away from God. What does God want to do from you? I was sitting there talking with this young man on Monday. God wants to take all your fun. The big, the big angst in, in him coming to Christ, one of the big ones was he doesn't understand the difference between you know, how, how you can have a free will and surrender to God. How, how is that possible? And I began to explain to him, you're living in the tension of free will and surrender every day of your life. Every day of your life you're living that way. Whether you love God and live for God or you don't love God and live for God. You have a free will. Go out and get in your car after you leave here and speed off 90 miles an hour down the road. What prevents you from doing that? You have the free will, right? The lights in your rearview mirror, right? <laughs> the blue and the red lights. Uh, that's the tension that you are facing. You have free will. When somebody has angered you and upset you and really done unjustly to you or to your family, and you have such hatred and vitriol for them that you could find yourself meeting them at a park, knocking them in the head, weighting their body down and putting them in the, in the, in the center of the lake so that nobody will ever find them again. What prevents you from that? Civil authorities. When that body surfaces and your fingerprints are on it and people saw you or cameras caught a picture of you, these are things that, that prevent you from advancing and moving in the direction of, of your free will. Every day you surrender for your greater good one way or another. How, how is it so much different to surrender your life to the God who created you who fashioned you, who knows what you were made to be and to do because he designed you. And how, how, how is it that that is somehow imprisoning yourself by walking with God and in relationship with him? Moses wrote, here's what God really requires of you. What the Lord requires of you is to fear the Lord, your God, walk in the ways to love him, to serve, the, serve God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments of God for your good. Be stiff-necked, hard-hearted, no longer. In Deuteronomy chapter 10. What's God saying are, are the requirements? Fear the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It is the recognition that we did nothing to get here today 
on this planet and, and receive the sunlight and the life and the oxygen and the beauty of this world that you and I enjoy and the place that we are in the grand universe. It is just saying we didn't do anything to make it happen. I stand in awe that it's here and that I'm here and that, that there is some great designer that has designed me and I am ready to stand fearfully in the presence of him and listen to what he has to say. I want to hear his message. I didn't make this happen. I didn't take a handful of nothing and create something. He did. I am ready to listen to him. I want to hear what he has to say. To walk in the, all his ways. Obedience. To say that he has a better idea of how I should live my life because he created me. Because he made everything. And therefore, it makes sense for me to walk in all of his ways, to submit to him, to surrender to him, and to obey what he is, has, is asking me to do, and to love him. I'm here because he created me. What I have around me, he's blessed me with. And, and everywhere I have not made a bad choice and, and a bad decision, there has been blessing and, and there's been goodness of God that's been revealed. And that, therefore, I love him. But I love him because not only as, as the opening of this plan of salvation for us that God deliver, you know, brings the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery, but he also has a purpose and a plan in redeeming them eternally through Christ Jesus. And man, I love him because he first loved me. Yes. One of the reasons that little baby that comes into your life, you know, loves you back is because they, they feel the love from you first. They know you love them and you care for them. And you're reaching out to them and you're embracing them. Keep the commandments of the Lord. He lays down the commandments for the children of Israel and he intends for that to be the framework for their morality, the framework by, for by how they live one with another. We talked about that in, in, in an office on Mondays, how that in, in our DNA across the globe, just throw Christianity out of the mix. Everywhere across the world, and even in world religions, people have, have come up with a moral code for their life. And that moral code always includes, don't kill me, <laughs> right? And don't kill somebody else. And that moral code always includes, don't take my stuff. Right? Leave my stuff alone. And, and it, how is it that we all came up with this same moral code? We want to throw out the Bible and the God of the Bible. But how is it that across the world we all come up with the same moral code? It is because there is a moral law giver. What does the Lord require of us? Not to be stiff-necked, not to be hard-hearted. His work in our, in, 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 in our lives is, is about producing a surrendered will on a day-by-day -day basis. And there's, there's a little Pharaoh that lives in every one of us who cries out, Who is the Lord that I should give him my will? Who is the Lord that I should have him shape my plans, my dreams, my goals, my comforts? Who is the Lord that tells me not to date her or him? Who is the Lord that says, 
that, that, is, that wants to know about my thoughts and my ideas? Who is the Lord that, that, that wants my things? And that little Pharaoh rises up in every one of us, and it's God saying what's, what's required is that you're going to have to surrender and submit your life to me on a day-by-day and moment-by-moment basis. Or that Pharaoh will wrap your heart in stone and separate the two of us. Do we have a hard heart in some way towards God? Misunderstandings, angry, upset with God over whatever has happened or not happened. Can we say to God, as we started off the beginning of this year, Lord, whatever it is that you have in, in store for me, that's what I want to do. Whatever, God. Whatever it is, I'm available to you, I'm pliable to you, and I am not going to fill in the blank that I will only do this, that, and the other. I am available to whatever, whatever you have, have in mind. We opened the series by saying that God brought Michelle and I and the kids 1,022 miles across the, the, the United States to, to Texas. And we were willing to say, God, whatever. And we love it. We're glad we're here. We're grateful. But I can tell you there was angst and misunderstandings and we didn't know how things were going to work out in the beginning. And we're still seeing the unfolding grace of God on a day-by-day -day basis. Thank God for the job that Michelle got and quit and got back. <laughs> and that is a long story. <laughs> we are aware that we have been set free to worship him. And the Lord spoke to Moses in chapter 8, verse 1. Tell Pharaoh to say, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me. You may remember in one of our earlier lessons that there was this tension when Moses said, the Lord said, and then verse 10 down the line, I think it was chapter 6 or chapter 5, chapter 1, you know, the Lord says, thus says the Lord. And then in verse 10, it says, thus saith Pharaoh, you're going to make more bricks and I'm going to give you less straw. And so the events that begin to unfold had to happen so that with authority he could say, there's one Lord. And if you're going to use the language, thus says, you better say the Lord and not Pharaoh. Let my people go, is what the Lord is saying, that they may worship me. I'm going to invite our worship team to prepare to come back. Something that really stuck with me as I was preparing uh, this week was thinking through Pastor Moses uh, speaking to Pharaoh on behalf of God on a, on a consistent regular basis, preaching every Sunday, if you will, and him hardening his heart and the casing of his heart more and more and more and more and more toward God. And I thought about how many of us, God has just been personally knocking on our door and saying, you know, I love you. I care about you. I have a great plan for your life. You know, I designed you and I, I have, have great things in store for you. And I know there's stuff that you don't understand. There's questions that you think you need answered and all of that. 
but I, you're going to find a lot of fulfillment and, and peace in, in just making surrender to me and my lordship over your life. The great struggle between being a fan and being a, uh, a servant or disciple of Jesus Christ, it's, it's that lordship issue. Who's going to be lord over me today? Who's going to tell me what to do? You know, uh, Michelle and I, we have a, we have a niece, and uh, she's, she's a very determined uh, personality. And when she was about three or four years old, Michelle was giving her some, some instructions because she was misbehaving, and she, was, and she you know, stopped, and she looked up at her, and she said, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> How many times are we doing that to God? You're not the boss of me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God's saying, you're going to find fulfillment in surrendering because the way you're going is going to create more and more hardship, more and more difficulties, more and more estrangement. You're going to find fulfillment by surrendering to my purpose, my call, my mission upon your life. I created you and I love you. And it's that understanding of coming from God loves the world to that understanding of God loves me as an individual. God cares about me. And I was where I kind of finished with the young man on Monday was telling him, you know, I, I hope you take nothing else away from this office that you understand that God knows you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows every detail about your life. He knows all of your DNA. He knows how you're put together. And he loves you as much as he loves me. And he has a plan for your life. And he wants to fulfill that. And it was a picture of the story of the rich young ruler. It was uh, only he was not rich and, uh, you know, young, but not a ruler. But he stood up and he said, I understand everything you're saying. I'm just not ready for that. Just can't, can't get there. Are you ready to make a full surrender? Will you stand with me? And as they lead us in this worship chorus, what I want to invite you to do is if you're really ready for surrender, then at some point when you feel like, God, I'm going to break the casing of any hardness around my heart that I have allowed to take place, I'd like to invite you to take a step and stand in the front. We'll just make this front area kind of an altar of surrender area. And it, it, it might happen after the first words of the song. It might happen when we get to the chorus. It might happen towards the end of the song. But wherever it happens for you that you say, God, I really, really, really want to make full surrender to you, then I want you to come forward and we're going to pray together. 